And wouldn't you know it, welcome back, episode 132 of the Life in Red podcast, lifeinredpodcast.com, at Life in Red podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and of course at Life in Red pod on Twitter. It's good to be back. It's been hard to find guests lately, and uh, with everything in the world that's happening, um, seems to be one thing after another for the last two years. Um, I hope you're doing well and that you are able to find some small moments of joy um, during this time, at least while we struggle to deal with what's happening. Um, my guest today, speaking of sort of managing the world, I think this is a good episode to help contextualize mental health. Uh, mental illness, and hopefully pick up some things that you can implement in your life if you're struggling to find some sort of motivation or meaning or energy, really. Um, I think this would be a good chat for you to listen to. Um, we talk about a whole bunch of things, and I'm always so thankful to connect with other mental health advocates um, and podcast hosts because uh, we can really get into good flows of conversation. You can really get a lot out of it. So we talk about their story. We talk about mental health, how we became advocates and what sorts of things uh, surrounded that. But not only that, we also talk about her as a high-performance athlete and how the transition of dealing with mental health challenges and mental illness intersected with a high-performance type of lifestyle and where they're at today. Um, they have a podcast. You can check it out. It's called The Revolutionized Mind. It's uh, everywhere you get podcasts, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and it's uh, all about uh, mental health, body image, authenticity. Um, it's a great catch-all for great chats about mental health, as is this podcast. So if you like my podcast, you'll probably like this podcast. Uh, so please give it up for my guest, the host of The Revolutionized Mind, Angelica Galuzzo. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to Life in Red. Angelica, hello. Thank you for joining me. Hi, how are you? Great. Well, no. I, <laughs> I like to start with, but we're talking about mental health, so like transparency, like, no, not great. I'm not great, um, but I'm happy to be chatting with you. <laughs> how are things with you pretty good yeah I think the world is a little hectic right now so just trying to take care of myself and make sure I'm prioritizing the right things for sure it's um it's hard I just did a, a sort of like a tiktok about how abnormal like none of this is normal and nothing we've been through in the last I mean for a lot of people longer than two years but you know for probably like the majority of us and sort of like white people, especially it's been two years of kind of constant. It's always something. It's like, we never get a breather or a break. There's like, we're like, Oh, we're finally out of the pandemic. And then boom, like George Floyd. It, like It's just, there's always something. I don't even know if you have a good answer for this or if you're exploring it sort of like I am and many people, but how are you sort of dealing with everything that happens, everything that goes on in kind of like the constant barrage of information that we have to deal with. Yeah, I actually saw something this morning that reminded me of when you started talking about how we're living in so many historical events. And like in our, just in the past few years, we've experienced so much stuff that like, I mean, other generations have had their fair share of issues. I'm not saying that, but just 
it's been so many anxiety striking things and like a lot of uncertainty around what the future is going to hold. So I think it's taken a huge impact on a lot of people's mental health. And I'm very compassionate towards like school age children and people who have literally missed out on so many just regular life events because of what's going on in the world. And I think we have to be very aware of that moving forward and just how it's going to impact everybody. It's um, you're right. Everybody has sort of every generation has been through some sort of like dramatic event, whether it's, you know, World War II or the Cold War or, you know, the war in the Middle East. Like we've always kind of been around war. I think what makes this so different for a lot of people is is social media. It's Mm -hmm. um, like we can never truly get away from it. Like even I was scrolling TikTok this morning and just you think you're going to like see dances and then you see a dog video and then all of a sudden it's like a soldier. It's like literally it's like instead of us watching the nightly news or, or whatever to get the information, like we're seeing it played out in real time in like almost every aspect of our life. And I think, I think about mental health, it's, we're not meant to be consumers of this much information mm-hmm. uh, all at once, all of the time, as I don't know if you've seen Bo Burnham, uh, special, but a little bit of everything all of the time. It's like, it's just, it's so much to deal with. You have ways of compartmentalizing, not only looking at the world and all the things, but sort of living a healthy day-to-day life as well. Yeah, it's not natural to know as much as we know or constantly be aware of what's going on like thousands of miles away at all time. And I think there's so many perspectives as well. And you're hearing so many different sides of things. And then if you're not on team A, you're like the enemy and Mm -hmm. half these people hate you. And it's just so hard to even be yourself. And you constantly are putting yourself in front of other people and millions of opinions on the internet. And I think we're just constantly like seeing all these things. And it does take a huge toll on the way that we perceive ourselves in the world because we're constantly worried about something or another like no matter how minor or severe so for me I think just like the basic thing making sure I'm taking time away from social media if I need it if I find myself getting overwhelmed while I'm scrolling then I need to put my phone away and maybe go for a walk or just making sure that you're not consuming too much negative information that's like changing your own opinions and you're not allowing yourself to form your own judgment on whatever situation you're thinking about yeah, that's those are some great points. Um, transitioning to who you are and why you're here, because we are not experts on the world. Um, a mental health advocate. You have a podcast, very passionate about um, advocacy and speaking about mental health, which I love. And I love all the conversations I have about mental health and mental illness on this podcast and learning about how other people sort of deal with their struggles, but also turn it into trying to like be like make it more of a positive giving back helping people and being open about it so in terms of your journey and your story where does your mental health story begin yeah great question um I've honestly always struggled with mental health starting as a kid I had a lot of physical illnesses as a baby like weirdly I was always like ear infections I was always sick and I mean like coming out of the womb, I almost died too. So I've just had a lot of like, I think minor traumas that I'm now like 
piecing together and that makes sense. But when I was younger, I also struggled with pediatric OCD. So I would throw a lot of tantrums when people didn't understand me, or Mm. I was just like a pretty problematic child in that sense, because everything had to have an order. And if my hamburger wasn't a certain way, then like I'd freak out and I wouldn't eat it. Um, That stuff I did grow out of. I'm, I still have some like tendencies, but it's not a disorder anymore. I've definitely grown out of that. But in terms of what I'm like really passionate about now, it all really started in high school. Um, I think I had the typical story of like suffering in silence for a little bit before actually coming forward. And for a couple of years, I was the only person who knew what was going on with me. Fast forward, I was diagnosed with depression, clinical depression and generalized anxiety disorder. And I think just because of how alone I felt and everything that I went through internally, I just became so passionate about wanting to help other people because so many people find themselves in that situation and feel like they have nobody to talk to about it or that nobody understands like how isolating that can feel. And to me, it kind of only made sense. It was my only option to try to use it for good. Um, just knowing like how shitty it is to be in that depressive head state. And now, like, I think I'm definitely not cured. I would not call myself that, but having so much more wisdom and knowledge on what it means to be depressed specifically, but just mentally ill. um, I really just want to try to use my voice and my experiences to help others. Mm -hmm. High school is a tricky time for everybody, whether you have a mental illness or, or not. It's just a time in our lives where there's so much change and social pressures and just we don't really know what's happening, but we're like supposed to try to deal with it as adults and it's all very confusing. Um, So to sort of be conscious enough to recognize that it's not just being a normal teenager, there's something else going on. um, It's definitely something, at least when I was a teenager, was not a thing. Um, I didn't recognize it until my 20s. So was there... Did you have a, a like a moment, uh, sort of like a light bulb moment or a particular incident where, where you recognize that, no, there's something more going on here? Or did you sort of have a culture in your school or with your family and friends where you were able to have that support to talk about what's going on and that's how you kind of recognize the problem or is it maybe even a bit of both? Yeah, um, great question. I think you brought up a great point about just like high school being a tricky time to begin with. There's so much going on and I think social media does not make it any easier. Um, But in terms of how I actually opened up, I think it was worst case scenario for me. Um, At the time, my boyfriend was the only person who knew what was going on with me, not right away, but he started noticing self-harm marks and Mm -hmm. suicidal ideations and things like that. So he was the only one who really knew the severity of what was going on. Um, and there was one situation where I had voiced that I was going to do something after my family was asleep. And, um, I think at that point I apologize to him now, but I put my boyfriend under so much stress constantly, like being the only person that knew what was going on. Um, so he ended up texting my parents and, um, not a fun night for me. Uh, was pretty traumatic and mm-hmm. being forced to go to the hospital and things like that. But I think 
as horrible as that moment and that night and the following weeks were like, I needed it. I definitely needed it. And I was so mad at my ex-boyfriend for telling my parents, but now I look back and I've actually had him on my podcast to tell the story and Mm. just like how desperate I was for help and for like somebody to see how hurt I was and what I was going through. So yeah, definitely not a fun, like, opening up story but since then I've been really open about things that I've gone through and I think want to just try to normalize these things Mm -hmm. I think that's a great point you brought up um I think it resonates a lot with young people but I think even for uh you know people who are a little bit older that sometimes helping somebody with a mental illness um it's not always going to be easy and smooth um, yes, we can be compassionate. We can be empathetic. We can listen. Um, we can do all those things that we're supposed to do when somebody is struggling. Um, but I don't think a lot of people recognize when somebody is in a crisis, just how difficult that is because there's not a lot of logic and rationality happening. Um, but you have to maybe make a tough choice that you don't want to make because it could jeopardize your relationship. It could jeopardize, you know, family dynamics. So, you know, it's, it's not easy. So I'm just curious, what was that conversation like with your ex, especially looking back on it and like, what were sort of the things that were running through his mind in order to reach a point where, I'm sure it wasn't easy, but like, and inevitably that was the right thing to do. Yeah. I think the biggest cause for all of this is kind of the like distinctions between the terms, mental health, mental illness. And then there's a crisis situation because like, when I think back to us, we were just two kids with no education on what we were going through. And I thought it was okay to put it all on him. And now like after so much reflection and therapy work and things like that, like I realized how unfair it was to make him my only piece of support and for it to be that severe. And that's when it was in crisis. And it's when we talk about mental health and mental wellness, I think people just think of like the good stuff and trying to like do self-care and make sure you're living a balanced lifestyle. But then there's the mental illness side of things that makes it a little bit more complicated. And uh, I mean, my ex and I have talked about what that was like and, I think hearing it again when like on my podcast, hearing his side of things and how just we had no idea what we were doing. And and that's why I think it's so important to like educate people on how to be in that support place because a lot of people do find themselves in it, unfortunately. And we need to know like what the right course of action is. Absolutely. Um, you know, even for myself, knowing all that I do, sometimes being put in a a situation like that can really, it can spiral out of control quickly. Um, It's not easy. I'm glad you did bring up the mental health versus mental illness conversation because I think a lot of us who are advocates and more involved with the community work around this, we understand the distinction And uh, I was actually giving a speech in December and I realized that I didn't even touch on that subject, which I should have, because when you're talking about the basics, um, I think it's an important distinction uh, that sometimes gets confused with, with 
a whole bunch of for a bunch of different reasons, whether it be social media or culturally or, or whatever. So I'll, I'll let you explain the two differences um, when we're talking about mental health, mental illness. What are some of those differences that you know make them make them different? Yeah, I think my favorite stat and one I always go to is that one in five people have a mental illness, but five in five people have mental health. And I think that's like something that sums it up perfectly because everybody does have mental health. It's just what's going on in our brain, just as physical health is what's going on in our body. But mental illness is when there is a clinical diagnosis using scientific research and you have symptoms, you have all these things that make you mentally ill but mental health is more in a general sense. And jack.org is actually a really great resource that explains a lot of this. And they have mental health living on a spectrum. And so mm-hmm. you can go from general op- like optimal well-being to like poor in crisis mode. And there's the dual spectrum that goes from like your functioning. And I think it's just really important to start these conversations with like an actual definition because it's very misunderstood, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it, well, the way I like to describe it is, you know, yeah, we all have mental health, um, and we all experience, you know, like you said, spectrum, um, to good mental health, to struggling, whether that be on internal or external factors, both can play a role, uh, both at the same time, whereas mental illness is sometimes a little more unexplained and chronic that it just, mm-hmm. it doesn't just go away with, with some self-care you can absolutely like mitigate some of the damages and some of that collateral effect but at the end of the day you know I exercise I try to eat well I get eight hours of sleep um, I try to stay connected and give back to my community and yet at some points uh, I feel alone I struggle with suicidal ideation I have other issues that just don't go away even with therapy even being as open as I am Um, so with what you're comfortable with, what are, you know, you've, you've struggled, you went through a very low point, you've come out on this other side, uh, and are trying to do some work. What are some of the things that you still continue to struggle with the, to like, to this day and ongoing? Yeah. Um, I also struggled a lot in high school with alcohol use. I think I kind of just put it off as like partying with my friends Mm -hmm. and stuff, but Um, I was often using it for a coping mechanism and it was intentionally using it to distract myself from um, negative thoughts and feelings that were just so overwhelming. Um, And like I said, I also resorted to self-harm. I will say sometimes I do struggle with that um, as it's something that was always an escape for me and that escape was always what I was looking for. I just wanted to like numb out everything that was going on because it was so overbearing. But I was also the kid who had all her shit together. I had a scholarship to the States for soccer. I had really good grades. I was a great student. I was involved in family, friends, community things, but it was when I went home and when I was by myself that nobody really saw that side of me. So I think just being really aware of how you feel internally is something that like, I've had to work on and try to like, it's cheesy, but like ask yourself, like, why am I feeling this way? What is triggering me? Is it worth the stress Um, before really like taking action or doing some negative coping mechanisms that I used to do a lot in the past. But 
leaning on support system is huge. If you have that in your life, like just know how much people do love you and they do care about you and like being okay with opening up to them about what's going on because they do care. Mm -hmm. And I think just like setting a routine in some way that gets into like general mental health. But when you're struggling with a mental illness, those small things that you do can really add up to create big change. So if the only thing you can do today is like make your bed or get change out of your pajamas, like it's so beneficial in the long run and slowly over time, you'll start to see that become part of your routine and like mitigate those other negative symptoms. I use that exact same like line in one of my, <laughs> my talks. So that's funny that you bring that up, but I'm very routine based as well. I think that really helps me. I, I kind of eat the same things every day. I make my bed. I have the generally the same schedule Monday to Friday. And then sort of like the weekends is where I'm a little bit more like freewheeling yeah. and get that shake up. But um, it's such a good point that I use this routine that, you know, if I'm not feeling my best, it's at least, at least I sort of have like an outline that can like guide, guide me throughout my day. Excuse me. Um, and I just, for me, I, I know not everyone's going to be the same, but for me, I think that's really important. That's also a big reason why the beginning of the pandemic was very devastating for me, um, that I couldn't go to the gym. I wasn't getting up to go to work anymore. I, there was all sorts of like things and I didn't have a support system I could see in person because we were so unfamiliar with what the virus was and how it would impact us. And uh, it just goes to show that, you know, how it, how beneficial it could be, but how also sort of mindful you have to be that you can build a nice routine, but the world's not always going to cooperate, you know? Yeah, I like how you said the word mindful, because I think since the pandemic, I've really learned to like focus on the word intention. And it's not just doing your routine and going through the motions, but it's doing it with intention. It's making your bed. And while you're making your bed, you're telling yourself like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm starting my day off strong. I'm doing this that way. I can feel organized, be organized, um, and like actually start off my day with like checking off something on my to-do list. And that like intention is just like sticking with you throughout the day. And I think it really helps you like become more purposeful about what you're doing and why you're doing it. That's a, that's a good point. Um, and not one I've heard very often, but it's, it's, it's important. And I think something you've touched on now kind of twice and throughout is having that internal dialogue. Um, and I also think that's important because it sort of is like you're talking to another person in a way that you're still sort of acknowledging what's happening and you're present and you're not allowing your mind to sort of float too far ahead or too far behind you're you're staying in that moment and reminding yourself or having that conversation about what you're feeling and what you're going through that sort of helps you I guess push pushes you along keeps you motivated um, and sorts to help you parse through all the different elements that kind of affect us day to day yeah and I kind of learned to separate what so I called it like my inner demons or like my dark cloud would be my depressed brain and like when I was in a bad state and I would like started to separate myself from it and not believe what they were saying Um, and just learning to I say like make the most out of the good days that I did have because on those days where I woke up and like the dark cloud might not have been as like foggy I could take control over those little things like making my bed or like 
getting changed in the morning, going to school. And I think that's what really started that for me is just like checking in with yourself and knowing like today might be a really bad day and that's okay. Because at that point I was diagnosed as I wasn't just going to fly away with some medication. Mm. Um, So I had to learn to, I say like grow with my illness rather than try to fight against it because it gave me that like own agency over what I was going through. You mentioned a little bit before that you, you know, you were a very talented soccer player and you sort of had uh, an opportunity to go to the States to play soccer, which is, you know, playing Div 1 soccer is sort of like the pinnacle of making it to the Olympics or the World Cup or, or what have you. How did your mental health and mental illness journey, like, impact whether it was that dream or that part of your life um were you still able to go was it did you go and it was sort of I guess like very challenging take me through a little bit that part of your life as well yeah so I kind of think that like that side of me was a total like my athletic side was a totally different person than my mental illness side because I was also I had five knee surgeries in five years oh my goodness Um, I was kind of like in crucial years like within scouting and going to the state so I did end up going I was there for two years but I medically registered both years because of two injuries Um, and I would always just say it was such bad luck like they were all different injuries all flukes like one was getting out of a chair one was just like turning like so many odd things and as a kid like since I was five, like I've always had this big dream of like going far in soccer. And I had so many opportunities. I got to play in France. I got to play on the provincial team. I won two national championships. And I think like all of those were so, so such like high moments for me. And I learned so much from being an athlete that, that like passion became something that actually saved me while I was going through my mental Mm -hmm, illness. Um, and it was just the one like constant thing in my life during that time. Like if I woke up and I was having such a shitty day, like I knew I'd go to soccer at night and like everything would be okay for a little bit. Like it sounds really cheesy, but it was my passion and it was my biggest coping mechanism at the time. So I think there was just a lot of different factors to consider. Like I had to come back home because of an injury and just like personal feelings. I decided it wasn't worth it to stay there anymore. I was so frustrated with um, all my surgeries that I just didn't I it felt wrong because it was my dream to like be living in the states playing division one soccer but I was in the training room every day not actually getting to play and I was like I'm putting so much into this and I just don't think all that stress was worth it anymore Um, so I did come home I continued to play at Western University for two years um, and I still play in the summer now but yeah, there was just so much going on. And like I said, I view them as two completely different people. Mm-hmm. Um, with with whatever you're comfortable sharing, but I am curious, you know, when you have a dream, when you have sort of dedicated your life to attempting to achieve this, this very big goal and, you know, getting pretty close, right? It wasn't like you were... Uh, uh, kid playing sort of like rec league soccer being like you know (laughs) you were a high performing athlete how did that realizing that like you know the injuries uh everything that was going on like how did that impact you mentally because 
when you dedicate, like I was saying, when you dedicate your life to this goal and then suddenly it, it's unattainable for whatever reason that might be, you know, there might be a lot of anger. You, it's, there's grief there. There's absolutely yeah. grief there. So how did you sort of navigate making that decision and then what came after? Yeah, I mean, it fucking sucks. It definitely does. Um, I won't lie about that. Like there were so many hard days and like I still remember moments where I'd like get the call from the doctor or get the call from my athletic therapist saying like your results came in. And I just remember like breaking down because I think they were at like such crucial stages in my scouting journey. And like, I just thought everything was going to be ruined for me, like as soon as it happened. So I think that's what gave me so much experience with dealing with adversity. Like I mm. learned so much about that because I had no choice. Um, and I was so determined to reach my goal and still like get that scholarship and still like move on to the next level. But I had no choice but to just like accept it. Be like, okay, I, I can't do anything about it. My entire meniscus is torn apart. Um but what can I do in order to like put myself in the best position? And it was work hard and rehab, focus on your strength, like follow the guidelines, get your cardio back up and like get back at it. And I tried to look at it like so positively every single time that like obviously towards the end, I think I just got exhausted and burnt out by it because um, it does take a huge emotional toll. Like mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing for me was sitting in the training room while like your teammates were out at practice and going to the States, going to a new team, like I wasn't able to integrate with the team. I wasn't able to like have that same experience that everybody else did because I was in the trading room for six hours a day. Um, so yeah, it was really hard. And especially I was at the university of Cincinnati. So like, it's a very like research oriented school, like very tough on like sports and rehab. So it was a very strict schedule and like what I had to follow and to not actually be living the dream and like playing and getting these experiences and seeing my teammates travel and I wasn't able to go. Um, it was a lot. And I think, like I said, like I just slowly learned like day after day that like you need to, I say like accept the positives, but acknowledge the negatives as well. Because like trying to just stay happy, positive all the time and like think everything was going to be okay. Like, just kept making it worse for me but like waking up and saying like okay this does suck like today I can't go to the training center I just can't mentally and like give yourself a break and I think over time like you do learn to listen to your body and your mind and just like give it what it needs Mm -hmm. that's a good point on sort of that that positive positivity and what a lot of people like to refer to as sort of toxic positivity where you know, everyone ag- agrees being positive has a lot of benefits and um, there's a lot to gain from sort of having a positive mindset. But it's interesting that for you to sit there and acknowledge that, you know, that it actually was hurting you and burning you out. Um, I think that's a huge step. And I think that's a, a huge step that a lot of people have trouble learning Um because we do live in a culture, uh, especially Westernly, that sort of still as much as stigma is breaking down that it's, you know, like, oh, like, don't think of the negative. Um, yeah, the world's crappy, but think of this, like, you know, it's um, good vibes only. <laughs> There's tons of examples. But to 
come to the realization that sometimes you have to accept that things are bad and you have to sit with that. I mean, that didn't come really for me until the pandemic um, is when I really learned to do that. So for you to have that at such an early stage in your life, I mean, it's unfortunate because of you get there from bad circumstances usually, but I think that's a, a huge testament to the type of person that you are. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's definitely not always easy, but same thing with the pandemic. I started just saying to myself, like, only focus on what you can control because there's like a global pandemic. Of course it sucks, but you have control over the situation. Like there are so many factors that will influence things in your life before you can even have a say at this point. So like, what can I control to actually make the most out of the situation that I'm in right now? Yeah, it's, um, that's one of the biggest things that I'm working on in my own journey right now is dealing with sort of uncertainty and being out of control um, because it's one thing to sit there and sort of say, like you, um, like you kind of just mentioned that it's like focus on what you control. And it's like, yes, we, we can do that. We can focus on what we control, but it sort of doesn't always get rid of that overlooming feeling of, of whether it's the world or it's what other people might be thinking or what they perceive. It's, it's not always an easy thing to do, especially if you're somebody who suffers from depression, anxiety, or any sort of disorder where to try to like break through that thought pattern and not let it affect you. Um, like my God, it's, it's still hard for me. And in some circumstances it's not, you know, at work, I'm very good at letting go of things out of my control, but in dating, like, no, I'm not very good at letting go of things that are not in my control. So it's, it's like a hard, it's one of those things, like many things that's easy to say, but it's, it's really hard to do. Yeah. And I think the pandemic for a lot of people, like statistics show, like brought relapses in people's mental health journeys, um, whether they did suffer from addiction before, whether they were depressed before, and then like just being alone in your room all day, not being allowed to go anywhere and maybe do the things like going to the gym or seeing friends that helped you cope with that before, like, it took a huge toll on people. And I think it, like you said, like it takes time to really understand, like adapt to that situation because our whole lives were changed like within a day. So that's understandable. And like actually coming to acknowledge the negatives sounds easy. It is really hard. And sometimes some days are harder than others, but I think that's all part of the process is just acknowledging like today's a bad day. That's okay. Like tomorrow, if this happens again, I can try to focus on one tiny thing here or something there. And just like making the most out of every single shitty situation that's going on, like within your own direct reach and like externally, as I think we've had experience with in the past few years. Mm -hmm. I'm always curious when somebody becomes sort of more of a public face and an advocate for mental health. Um, it's, it's one thing to go through the things that we go through and, and deal with those battles personally and, and sort of go through that everyday process of, of battling. I also like to sometimes call them the demons or the thoughts or whatever you have going on. But it's a whole other thing to then start to put more on yourself by coming forward and speaking openly about it, doing interviews like this, podcasts, uh, all sorts of social media, whatever it is that people are using as an advocating tool. So what was, was there like a particular moment 
or was it an on like an evolution sort of that made you not only want to you know deal with what you have going on but then put that out there for the world to listen to and interpret yeah i was actually inspired to share my story for the first time on by let's talk day and i think just how I felt when I saw other people, other celebrities, other people, just regular on social media, share their stories that day, I think was like the first light bulb moment I had where like, it made me feel better to read other people's experiences with similar things that I've gone through. And from that point, I just realized like how powerful it is to be vulnerable and to share your story. And especially if you're passionate about something like that passion can lead you such a long way. And over time, like I just started getting involved. I was the student athlete mental health initiative co-lead at my school and just like putting myself in these situations that allowed me to share my story and be like a recognizable ally for people in my community. And I think it just like kind of turned into a podcast into social media because I saw the impact that it was having on other people. And sometimes it's just that one person that texts you and they're like, wow, I needed to hear that today. And that is like life-changing every single time I get a message like that. And I think the more we talk about these things, like people say it's normalized, but it's really not. Like it's still so stigmatized. You can't say you're going to therapy. You can't say you're on medication. And just like the lack of knowledge around general mental health and mental illness is something I really want to try to improve in our society because I think it'll go such a long way. Yeah, um, very similar to my story. I first shared my story on uh, Bellet's Talk Day in 2015. And, um, you know, even from there to now, the stigma and the conversation has definitely opened up. But you're right, there's still a lot of, I mean, there still is resistance. While it has drastically improved, there's a lot of resistance. There is still stigma, stigma around therapy. Uh, and I'm proud to say that I go to therapy. I'm also you know, I can say I'm on medication, you know, I, I do both plus all of those self-care routines to try to get me through. And I'm not ashamed to say that, but, um, a lot of people, um, I don't know what it is, uh, that they put up a lot of resistance to people coming forward with that, that type of stuff. So what sorts of things when you are talking with friends or maybe people who reach out to you via social media from the podcast, whatever, what sort of advice do you give to people who might be struggling to come forward and talk about what they have going on? Yeah. Well, I think like less with the individual, like first focusing on community, I think we can be doing such a better job of language. I'm a big advocate for, and just like, you know, using like suicide language every and every day, conversation when it's really not warranted and people don't understand the severity of that or when people use mental illness as adjectives like oh my god I'm so OCD when they're like Mm. putting their clothes away or something and I think just really giving it the importance that it deserves and calling out people when they're being ignorant towards something and sometimes it's not intentional they just don't know so like encouraging that education and talk about positive mental health I think is something we can all do to make that process easier but then also from the individual going forward for support I think knowing who you're talking to 
and kind of where they're at. Um, there's a big thing going on around right now, asking people like if they have the emotional capacity before mm -hmm. actually opening up to them, I think is huge and not something mm -hmm. that was really talked about before, which is definitely something I did not do mm -hmm. um, because it is a huge topic. And even just like having that information poured into you can really take a toll on your own mental well-being. So you need to make sure that both people are able to support themselves with what's going on. Um, and then also just reminding yourself like internally that people do care and you're not like a burden. You're not being dramatic if you're opening up about what's going on with you, because if it's bothering you that much and you know what you're going through, nobody else is allowed to tell you that you're faking it, that you're being moody, that it's just hormones or whatever all these things are, but just like really trusting yourself and knowing that you do deserve to get help if you need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no shame in asking and you don't have to have a certified like mental illness in order to reach out um, to talk to a therapist, to see a counselor, to reach out to a friend and just let people know you might be struggling. Like, I think that's part of the stigma, especially around depression, and anxiety is people kind of think to themselves, well, you know, I'm not depressed. I'm just, I'm just sad. And like, that's still perfectly valid to, mm -hmm. to seek help for. Um, it doesn't have to be something large or, or big. It can just be a little struggle that you're having. Um, you know, you don't have to go through some sort of major traumatic moment in your life in order to be struggling with something. Sometimes it can just happen. Um, and I think that's something I also like to remind the broader community when it comes to sort of like these mental health conversations, you know? Yeah, all experiences are valid. All trauma is valid. And my least favorite line ever is so many people have it worse than you because like, yes, I, I know that. Like, I know there, I know I'm so privileged to be a white female living in Canada. I know I have a house. I know I have food on the table. I know I have all these things, but still there, like there was something going on with me and anything I go to, like to this day, if something is bothering me, like it's okay to talk about it. And given like, we just went through a global pandemic, there's so much shit going on in the world right now. Like, it's normal to have these feelings and I think it should be encouraged to talk about because it really helps us to process what's going on and to improve our own mentalities around our lives. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the podcast. Um, what was the idea behind it? Uh, and what are sort, what are some of the, the goals that you're really trying to accomplish with it? Yeah. So the podcast was kind of a passion project still is. I, like I kind of see the transition of my episodes too, or at the beginning, I really just wanted to like get my story out there, pieces of it, and then start educating. Like my first few episodes are defining mental health versus mental illness. I have my ex-boyfriend on talking about how to support somebody. And I have kind of like an evolution into other people sharing their trauma, other people sharing their mental health stories. I have just like experience episodes, knowledge episodes. And I just wanted to get people talking about mental health and general well-being and having these different perspectives because I think we can learn so much from hearing other people's stories and just really like enforcing that everybody does have a voice and if something's happened to you like I want to hear your story and I want to be there for you and like if 
it's something that you want to be made public on a podcast platform, then yes, like come on, share your story. Or if it's just something that you're passionate, I like talking about a lot of like societal issues that I see, like female safety, body image, um, social media, and it, its impacts on our mental well-being. I just think these are things that need to be talked about and addressed. And the podcast just kind of felt like the best medium for me to get my message out there because I wanted to do more than just social media. And I wanted to create that platform for other people to feel safe to come on. Yeah. Um, I have grown infinitely from doing this podcast and having conversations with people like yourself from all sorts of different backgrounds about, you know, all sorts of different subjects that sort of impact us and impact different people in different ways. So talking of not being shy to talk about things like racism and like anti-racism and um, black people and indigenous people and other people of color, or like you said, women's safety or health and um, women's health, all sorts of these different things that do not impact me um, directly. Uh, obviously being a straight white male, um, kind of on the top of that social hierarchy pyramid, but to, to hear from people, to, to hear their stories, to pick their brain about the things that are going on in the world, the amount of like empathy, like it's just, it's tremendous. It's changed me in so many ways. I could never really articulate well enough to, to people, but it has through, I, I believe you're like, you're like 40 episodes, 41, 42, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Do you, now you're started at that point where, you know, you have had a lot of different people and voices on, do you find that through these conversations, you've also grown in, in ways like I've just described? Absolutely. Um, as you were talking, I was just thinking of a term we use in psychology is just like your worldview. And like, if you look narrowly, like what you experience in front of you is your worldview, the way you experience the world, the relationships that you form, the things you get to experience is all based on so many factors. And that starts with race, that starts with gender identity, that starts with just the family you were born into. There's so many factors that influence how we see the world and the perspectives that we have on other people and their experiences. So having these conversations really helps to broaden that worldview because you hear it from other people. You understand or not understand, but you gain a better understanding of some of the trauma that they face just for being black, for being gay, for having a different cultural upbringing than us. It really changes just everything about us. So having these conversations, I think, is so powerful and makes like more of an impact than we really know. I think so much of what's happening in the world, especially, you know, not so much on, uh, on like a, a geopolitical level, but more sort of like person to person. And I guess in politics in general is that we aren't talking to each other enough and not talk, not only not talking to each other, but not having those conversations um, with, I like the word you use with intention, with intent, with positive and good intent, where we're not going into the conversation, trying to prove the other person wrong. We're genuinely going into the conversation to, to hear them out and learn and not necessarily interject our own thoughts and opinions or challenges. I think that's really what we're missing. And that's sort of what 
we're starting to see manifest and spill out from social media and then start to spill out into real life, into sort of things like whether it's, you know, the convoy or um, other protests or, you know, January 6th in the States or election cycle. Like it just, we're seeing anger and frustration and so much pour out because I feel like a lot of people aren't feeling like they're being heard. And I don't think enough people are willing to listen at this point. Would you say the same? Yeah, um, I think like what's going on is happening on such like a larger scale, like you said, like the politics, the social systems that are in place, like it's really the change is happening like between interpersonal relationships, it's happening in society, it's happening on social media. And that's why like when I started my podcast, I was so intent to not to use that word again, but on like just talking to regular, ordinary, everyday people, because the way we experience the world is different than like the people in high politics and who are actually making those changes. But if we can control what we're like, the type of content we're filling ourselves with, the type of conversations we're having, then we can really improve our understanding of like everybody's individual experiences. And then when our generation or when more people get into those positions of power, we're able to actually make those real changes. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, there, there is definitely a different level of sort of like the class structures as well. Is that like the, the ruling class or the governments, they really have no idea what it's really like, what's happening at like sort of like the ground level between us um, in so many different ways, whether it's it's poverty or it's, it's, you know, race or like you said, gender or it's inflation and the costs and our pay structures. Like, obviously if they truly knew what was going on, they would have to change things because we all are pretty much under the understanding that what we have is not sustainable and everyone's trying to voice that right now. And um, I think now more than ever, instead of relying on, sort of like a central figurehead to decide what what's going to be best for us you have to unfortunately look out for each other in a lot of cases i was actually having this thought yesterday on my walk because i just i think about things that have really nothing to do with me but i just i can't help it um but it was that like our whole system and our whole world is kind of upheld by the reliance on people being selfless on people going above and beyond what they should or what they really have in order to sustain, sustain us as a society while selfish people are kind of allowed to skirt by and not really contribute. And, you know, just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I really had that, that thought yesterday. I was like, wow. Like think of nurses. I think of PSWs. I think of like, the people working the front lines for minimum wage that like they have to be selfless in order for the society to succeed. And it's usually not them succeeding. Yeah. Just while you were talking, I have so many why questions, which is just like about <laughs> the way the world works. I don't get it. And like something I say all the time, is just that like, I don't get why or how we know that some people are living in poverty, that there are so many things about the world that, can be made easier for the people living in it, but we don't do anything about it. 
And like all of us are having these conversations, like it's common knowledge, climate change, things like that. But like the people in power aren't doing anything. How are there so many people living like so luxuriously when there are so many people out there struggling? And we know that like I just it's it -hmm. obviously goes much deeper than this conversation. And there's so many levels that are impacted before it even gets to us. But just a lot of questions around like why it's so hard for the people living on this earth and like <laughs> how it's not made easier is beyond me. I, I totally agree. Like it just, it makes no sense. I mean, it makes sense for people in power because they can stay in power, but like, it just, because I'm a person with empathy and I, I, I care about other people. Like it is, I feel it is beyond my comprehension how you can look at things and be like, mm-hmm. this is good. Like we're doing good. I mean, is it better than it was before? In a lot of cases, of course it is. But to not literally strive to be like the best society where like people aren't dying needlessly. Like it, I'm like, I mean, if I had an answer, I'd be president of the world really. <laughs> but it just, you're right. Like why, like, why do we have to like go through so much pain and suffering? Like it, I, I can't, can't be like this. Like it doesn't have to be like this. And you think it's happening so far away from home overseas in these places where like you'll have no impact, but it's happening like right outside our doors. I'm, you're from Ottawa. I'm from GTA. Like I see it when I go downtown Toronto, like the amount of homeless people, the amount of people suffering from addiction and just like it's happening in our community and the people in power. I know there are so many like housing programs and things in place to help, but there's nearly not enough. And I just think we can be doing so much more and it really blows my mind that we're not. And I think just like putting it on yourself too and thinking like, why can't I make a bigger impact or why can't I actually make a change? I think is something that we can like lean on the community for to Mm -hmm. actually keep these conversations going and try to make a change at our level. I'm curious as somebody who is trying to make, change and make the community better and make things more positive with what you're doing. Do you feel there's like, do you feel pressure? Like when things aren't going well in the world that you have to do more? I'm curious because that's something that I've felt. Um, And especially during the convoy as like, sort of like, like an Ottawa voice for mental health in a way that like, I felt no one was putting pressure on me, but I felt compelled to talk about sort of the mental health impacts of it, even though it's really outside a lot of my scope. Um, I just felt there was pressure on me because I want to do more. I want to help. I want things to get better. Do you also feel sort of like a pressure, um, especially lately with, as things seem to start to accelerate to, to do more, to put more on yourself, more pressure uh, to, to, to help more as things continue to, to like, get worse yeah I feel like once you like make yourself kind of a voice for a mental health platform or any kind of platform you feel the need to comment on everything that's going on and that Mm -hmm. can possibly impact somebody's mental health and I think we actually saw a lot of that during the Black Lives Matter movement and Mm -hmm. how people started attacking each other for not posting or for spreading misinformation and just like it became such an interpersonal battle when it was something so much larger and we could have been helping each other I think I just, I had a few experiences with that and nobody really knows what you're doing outside of social media either. You don't need to be Mm -hmm. posting about it. Um, 
So I think there's just so many things where we can come at each other with more compassion rather than attacking the other person, because in order to learn, we all need to like learn from each other's experiences and talk about it. So that's another why question for you. Yeah. Yeah. You're right though. It's there. Yeah. Especially with social media and, and those sorts of conversations. Um, you know, it seems like every time there's a natural there's a natural or man-made disaster somewhere in the world. Like you're expected to sort of like talk about it or at Mm -hmm. least supposed to acknowledge that it's happening. Uh, And And if it's not on your Instagram story, then you don't care. And you're selfish. Um, And it's like, there's so many things wrong with that. I mean, like when you post to your Instagram story and like you're posting to people who agree with you. So what are you like really changing? Mm -hmm. Um, I get the need to feel something, but it is something that I've, I've definitely learned in my experience, especially on social media is um, when to use your voice and then when to let other people use their voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not equipped to talk about Russia, Ukraine. I am not equipped to talk about Israel and Palestine, uh, nor do I feel comfortable talking about those things because I don't know. So I, I mm-hmm. why post about it if I don't have any, what I can do is share somebody else who knows a lot more than I do. Um, and that's generally what I try to do is my general rule um, outside of like these like massive, like war-like moments with the world. But when we're talking about like indigenous, uh, you know, like the residential schools or Black Lives Matter or, you know, what's happening in Texas and Florida right now with, um, with queer kids and trans kids um, is offer like a, a statement of support for these communities and then just kind of like retweet uh, or share or have them on my podcast voices who just know what they're talking about, who study this, who do the research because uh, you, no one needs to hear my voice on like women's issues. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I can say I support women, but like why, like Ryan, shut up. Like why, do you, <laughs> why do you, I need to listen to you about, cause then you're also talking over other people and I don't know if anyone's listening and that resonates with anyone, but like, that's generally my role when it comes to these sorts of things. Yeah, I've definitely learned to pick and choose my battles for sure. And learning when it's my place to say something, or even if it's not my place to say something like, like you said, doing that act of sharing it and at least proving like you're an ally or you are aware of what's going on in the world. I think we're not always equipped to talk about these things, especially when it comes to politics and you don't, always want to put that on your platform either because then it raises controversy so you do have to be very like aware of what you're saying and like if you're ready to deal with any repercussions or any like disagreements anybody who doesn't agree with what you're saying it's all going to come with it especially again social media makes it so much more difficult to voice your opinion yeah it's um i just if it's a trolley thing, I just ignore it. If it's valid criticism, that's fine. But I mean, I, once you know where you stand on a lot of things, um, like then I learned that like I can take like good criticism because most people who follow me, like you have a consistent amount of work. Like if you're just posting once in a while, every time like Bell Talk, Let's Talk Day is the only day you talk about mental health. It's a lot easier to sort of like interject with that. But I mean, those are, there's no solving these types of things in a day. The, the general thing that I like to remind myself of, if it's more about them than it is me, they're projecting something, um, whether it's an insecurity or 
trauma or something that's being projected on me and it's it's not really personal unless I say something stupid which I really try not to do you know (laughs) yeah there's a lot of issues around just like interpersonal communication styles and like how we respond to each other and I think it's just really important to not engage with people whose one opinions are never going to be changed no matter how hard you try and I think there's a difference between like political issues and then like social issues because I believe like love is love everybody should love everybody and like these things where people have a contradictory opinion on where I don't think it's warranted um like things that I feel deeply about and passionate towards is something that like I'll always call out or always stand up for and that's just one example (laughs) like denying human rights is it's not a difference of opinion. Like it's, yeah. you're just a bad person. Like, sorry. That's that's what I was trying to say. I think I just couldn't <laughs> find the word for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like, that's not an argument. You, you're just, you're a bad person and you don't have a good faith argument. It's not worth a debate. Um, but listen, um, what's next? Where, where do you see this going? What are some of your hopes and, and your dreams to come out of this um, advocacy work, this podcast? Uh, what, what, can we expect from you coming up yeah I don't know I feel like I'm kind of in a weird place right now I'm just (laughs) chilling I'm working right now working two jobs and working on the podcast and all my free time and it's something I'm really enjoying it's something that I love seeing growth on whether that's social media whether it's feedback from the episodes or just being able to connect with more people like you and like now going on somebody else's podcast I think is just part of like the growth journey and continuing to share my story and share other people's stories and just being an advocate I think will promote its own growth itself like without much else so I'm excited to just keep doing what I'm doing for now I don't really have any big plans just some personal goals with the platform and yeah just kind of taking things one day at a time right now yeah maintenance is good there's nothing wrong with just just keeping on keeping on you know um people ask me you know what's new I'm just like nothing like I'm just doing my I'm just doing the same things I always am and just kind of like plugging along uh and that's good enough because it keeps me busy so Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that at all um Mm -hmm. where do people find you on social media uh your I'm sure your website I'm sure you're available um on all sorts of podcasting platforms but where do we find you yes everything is at the revolutionized mind um that's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and that's what my podcast is called. So you can find me on all platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everything like that. And yeah, just I love connecting with people. So never hesitate to send me a message if you're interested in sharing your story with me or just giving me any feedback. Amazing. Um, Angelica, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for your time, energy, and um, being vulnerable. Um, I know, I know you probably do it a lot and it, it, I, but I also know that it's, it's draining and it can take some stuff out of you talking about that. So I really, really appreciate you doing so today. Thank you so much for having me on. I feel like we're very similar in terms of podcasting styles and it's so fun to like be in this end of things. It's um, different, so I eh? a, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Perfect. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.